everybody, this is Ben Schneider back again for another episode of the Ben Schneider Show. Uh, my guest today is my friend from the Com Arts Department, uh, Matt Cole. So Matt, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on, Ben. I appreciate it. Yeah, how have you been? Good. I've been well, uh, as well as one can be during quarantine. Um, classes have been going well. Uh, it's just, it can be tough because there's a lot of, there's a lot of time. <laughs> And sometimes it can be difficult to figure out what to do at that time. Um, and then, you know, you're, I'm living with three other people. So that definitely, uh, you know, it, it can be testing and it can be a trial at times. But um, we're all kind of finally working our way into a, into a schedule. So just got to go in stride and hopefully this all uh, finishes up pretty quickly. Yeah. yeah I'm, I'm seeing some encouraging numbers come out of New York the last couple of days. So I think maybe they're starting to. Uh, flatten the curve a little bit so hopefully it's uh it's over sooner rather than later um i don't know i'm not buying all the doomsday people that are saying it's the end of the world it's gonna be two to three <laughs> years before we get through this but then oh. others are saying you know it'll just be a couple of months and then we'll all be back to normal like I, I feel like it's gonna be somewhere in between but yeah i i, I don't know i think so too i know that um wuhan just uh they just kind of opened up back up again um so they didn't they, they still have precautionary measures as far as the quarantine goes, but um, they're open and people are traveling within, within that area and people are outside. So, um, yeah. Yeah. When people compare it to the Spanish flu, you know, that last major pandemic on the scale that we've had, I guess, but you know, hygiene was not where it is today back in 1918, you know, <laughs> life was different. We have better communication. Now we know what's happening on the other side of the world much quicker because of the technology we have. So I think all that's going to play a role in maybe getting over this a little bit quicker than world history suggests that pandemics of the past have lasted. So I'm encouraged by that. Yeah, well, I guess just to start, Matt, um, I've really known you ever since I set foot on campus um, because we were in the same Dr. Cliff Hersey in his last semester, yes. took both of us on. I think there were only three people that he took on because he was, it was going to be his last year. I didn't want to overburden him, um, but we were two of them. Yep. Uh, in terms of him being our advisor. Uh, so I've known you for a long time, but I just want to get to know how you found Gordon, uh, what your story is. I know you're from the New England area, obviously. Um, so you're pretty much a local. Um, but what brought you here? What drew you to the communications department? And just go from there. Okay. Uh, it's a pretty interesting story, actually, uh, because I'd been looking – um, my junior year, I'd been looking at Endicott, and my brother had been looking at Gordon. So I remember one day he had received uh, a brochure from Gordon, and I just thought the way it looked was, I just thought it was so cool. And I was like, I want one of those brochures. So that's what initially um, caused me to get information from the school was because of the brochures. Uh, as silly as it sounds, that's what it caught my eye, and I was like, wow, um, I want to get one of those. How do I get one of those? And he's like, oh, you just... Um, send your email and stuff for more information. And I did so, so I got my brochure, which was great. And just from there, um, you know, I spent a lot of time in prayer or, or tried to, and I toured a couple schools. Um, Endicott was one of them. I was looking at a couple schools out in the Midwest, um, in Minnesota at Bethel University, um, and then University of Wisconsin Superior in Superior, Wisconsin. Um, but I prayed and prayed and when I, arrived on the campus, I did one of the self tours that uh, they were allowing students and families to, to take part in. Um, it must have been 
think it was October or November uh, when I did it of 2016. And I walked into the Lane Student Center and I walked up outside the student life offices, um, kind of where those like wooden tables are that look like, you know, tree stumps and they have the big golden tree on the wall and um, some stuff up in the skylights. Um, and I felt that God right there had, had called me to, uh, to attend the school. And um, I wasn't really sure for what, um, but I've kind of been able to see his plan unravel over the last three years. Um, and not only just what he's designed for me to do while at Gordon, but what he wants me to do after Gordon. Um, so it's been very, very encouraging. Um, so it started off as kind of a silly story with the brochure, um, but it's been, a, it's been a great experience. It really has. I've met a lot of wonderful people um, and gotten to partake in a lot of different uh, events and, and groups on campus and athletics. Um, so it's been, it's, been a, it's been a journey, but it's been a good one. Correct me if I'm wrong, but is your brother at Endicott? Uh, he is at Endicott. So you were looking at Endicott and ended up at Gordon. He was looking at Gordon and he ends up at Endicott. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, how's he doing over there? He's good. He's enjoying himself. Um, they had an extra week at school um, before their spring break. You know, obviously they're not going back now either. Um, but yeah, he's been enjoying it over there. He likes it. He's part of a Christian group on campus. And I mean, every time I see him or talk to him he's always got some good stories he stays out of trouble keeps his nose clean and you know I go over and visit him occasionally it's a good campus a lot of you know I think a lot of good people there and um, good people in the administration and they just they just uh, built a new student building um, so I got to go in there walk around with them and it's it's pretty incredible do you ever feel a conflict of interest when you're at a Gordon sports game and you I mean, obviously, Endicott's probably our biggest rival, um, but, you know, you have a conflict of interest there because you have a family member that goes to the school, too. So do you ever feel conflicted when you're watching a, a Gordon-Endicott game? Um, no, I'm, I'm pretty, uh, pretty on board with Gordon uh, and uh, always make sure that, uh, that I vocalize that, especially if my brother's at one of the games. Yeah, so you come here and you join the Com Arts Department. Mm -hmm. um, I remember first semester freshman year, we were in the same uh, visual storytelling class yes, with sir. Scott Thurman. Um, so what, what drew you to that department and uh, what do you want to do with studying uh, communications? Well, I think what really got me into communications was actually it was a uh, recommendation from my parents because I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Um, when I came to college, I had um, just... I, you know, been tossing around a couple ideas and stuff, but um, I was really just more focused on the experience. I was like, oh, I'll go in as just, you know, undeclared and then bounce around, see what happens. Um, and my mother in college was an English major and a French minor. And my dad was a business administration uh, major with a minor in education. Um, but neither of those things really appealed to me. Um, growing up, I had loved, obviously watched sports all the time. And if I was ever had my little toys that I was playing with, like my little hockey figurines or soccer figurines or whatever they were, I'd always do a lot of like mock broadcasting. Um, and my parents were like, well, you like to talk a lot. <laughs> like, why don't you do communications? And I was like, no, no, that's, that's just, no, that's, that's too general. Like that doesn't make any sense. Um, but uh, meeting with some of the faculty, 
back when I was coming into Gordon um, and talking to to them to see what they had available um, for options as far as what classes they were offering and and how they went about their program. I was really drawn to the fact that there wasn't one set course um, that you could take per se. You could, um, but their goal was to get you to be involved in a wide array of classes involving communications or different types of communication. Um, obviously, I think my, my favorite came with um, film production and, and video production and um, all the kind of excitement that goes into that. Um, but it's been effective to also get uh, marketing sides of communication, you know, interpersonal communication. And it's, I feel honestly like it's, it's been a very well-balanced um, curriculum in the sense that it can kind of help me with whatever direction I go in. Yeah, that's something I totally agree with. Um, I tell people that I feel like if Gordon were a bigger school, we might have more sub-majors kind of under the communications blanket. Um, but it has been nice to get a little bit of experience in virtually everything. Um, you know, I came here looking at journalism and yes. I ended up taking an intro to production class. I'm doing marketing and PR right now. So there's all sorts of skills uh, that I'm learning that, you know, if I'm working in somewhere in media and, you know, I, I know basic uh, video editing and production that I got out of that class, you know, it's not something like, I don't want to be a filmmaker. Um, yes. But it is something useful that I have in my toolbox now if I ever need to use it. Um, so I, I totally echo that statement. I'm, I'm, I'm very thankful for the wide range of skills that I've, I've taken from that. Uh, so you mentioned, you mentioned really enjoying production. Um, have you gone on to do anything else with that, like with clubs on campus here or other classes? Um, well, uh, interestingly enough, um, you know, I've been blessed with the opportunity to lead men's ministry on campus, uh, be one of, the, one of the leaders. And with everything going on with the quarantine and the COVID-19, um, we were trying to figure out how do we continue our ministry while we're all in different parts of the country um, and we don't, we can't get together and do our, our regular meetings. So actually I've been able to use that skill set to um, start and we're two episodes in, we're going to be doing our third episode next week uh, of an IGTV series. So it's nothing, you know, incredibly crazy, but it's been fun to use those production skills. Um, and my co-leader, Anthony Miko, he's a very talented photographer and just videographer in the sense that he can see things that I can't see. Uh, so it's been incredible to have him because he puts everything together in the here and now when we're filming. And then he's, sends me the footage, the raw footage, and then I can kind of cut it up and clip it together and, uh, you know, mix some stuff around and then stick on a little graphic at the end. Um, and it, it's been a blast. So I, I really, I wouldn't have any knowledge of anything like that um, without the production skills that I learned. Um, and I've done a YouTube channel just for fun. So if you missed the beginning of what John was saying is, well, we start with some heavy compound movements and then we'll move from there to stop repetitions where we're kind of going slow. We really want to work on the eccentric part of the movement, really get that mind-muscle connection going. Just involves like some workout videos and stuff, more or less, just to help me get better acquainted with uh, uh, Adobe Premiere. And, but that's been a blast too. Uh, I don't know, I find a lot of joy in just sitting down and taking something that's big and unedited and kind of can be all over the place sometimes and 
confining it and cutting it down into something that's succinct and fluid or as succinct uh, and fluid as it can be. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you for bringing that up because I know you do a lot of great work with the men's ministry. Yeah. So why don't you tell us a little bit about how you got started uh, over there? Okay. Um, It was my freshman year. It was my second semester. And there was um, a, a man who was a junior at the time. His name was Jesse Cook. And when I had come into Gordon, I was originally focused on doing a comp major and then doing a uh, youth ministry minor. Um, and that was something that I had talked with uh, actually Dr. Cliff about. And, you know, so I was kind of set doing that. I didn't end up going through with the youth ministry minor. But in my one of the classes I took, Foundations of Youth Ministry, uh, this young man, Jesse Cook, was, was in the class. And he had approached me kind of in... Eh, it was the beginning of the second semester of, of freshman year. And he said, hey, like men's ministry, men's ministry is doing uh, like a video game night. He goes, why don't you come by, just like meet some of the guys, see what it's like. Um, and they were running it together with um, some people from Rec IM. So I went by and met some of the guys and they were really, really good and uh, just kind of kept hanging around um, with Jesse and um trying to remember who else was involved at the time. Um, Alex King, actually, who works in in Lane now um, with all the food services and stuff. He was one of the leaders at the time. So I just got to kind of spend time with all of them. And and at the the very end of the semester, Jesse said, I'm going to be taking over as the leader of men's ministry next year. Um, I'd like if you would lead a group. So I was like, okay. Um, and he goes, you know, I know it's a lot, but, uh, and I'm kind of just throwing this at you at the end of the semester, you know, you got finals and stuff. He goes, but you could, you know, lead a group on anything. Um, so we talked about some ideas for some groups and he said, you know, I'll, um, I'll give you time to make your decision, you know, and, and let you pray on it and you can get back to me um, whenever you can. I said, well, can I make a decision now? He said, sure. I said, I'm in. So get kind of sealed the deal there. And I got to meet Joe Sherritt, who was the co-leader with Jesse um, sophomore year, uh, so last year. And I was um, just working, leading a group, um, kind of being mentored by the two of them, um, learning what to do, what not to do, learning how, kind of the ins and outs of, of the chapel office and how finances worked and budgets worked and all those um, wonderful details, but complicated and tricky details. Um, and this year, um, you know, Anthony and I have been blessed to have taken the reins from Jesse and Joe, and they've actually come to some meetings. Um, we've had them come to some meetings, and wow, we try to check in with them as, as often as possible. Um, but yeah, that's kind of uh, more or less how I got involved with it. It was uh, an opportunity that was thrown in my path, and I'm, I felt moved to, to embark on it. And uh, it's been it's been an incredible blessing, um, and especially working with Lauren Becker in the chapel office, the head of discipleship. Um, it's been really incredible to be poured into by her, um, and and she does it in such a a gentle way. Um, nothing ever feels forced. She's always there and just saying, you know, what are some ideas? How can I help you? Um, and she's been great too because in one of our conversations, she goes, I can. I can help you put stuff together. I can help you with the budget. She goes, but at the end of the day, you know, I'm a woman and you're leading men's ministry. 
So I can't help you connect with men the way that other male leaders on campus can. So she's given us a plethora of different um, professors and, and faculty um, that could fill that role. And um, we've been building some ties with uh, like Dr. Rowe and uh, Bill Mooney McCoy and um, some of those guys. So we'll see, we'll see what happens with that. Yeah, and you and Anthony hosted a Scott Radio podcast for a little bit, right? We did. Um, that would have been sophomore year last semester. Um, or excuse me, last, last year, last spring semester. Um, and it was called The Right Way. And we would just look at stuff and uh, it kind of was all over the place. Um, a lot of current affairs, um, you know, news, politics, sports, uh, religion. And I think that that was a great way to kind of build a, a bond and almost build a way in which, because coming down the end, we ended up talking a lot about religion and biblical passages. And I think that that was really helpful in our transition to leading men's ministry. Um, you know, if we could have conversations with each other one-on-one -on -one about these things, now we can bring that dialogue to a larger group when we host our, you know, small groups or an event or whatever it is that we're doing. So you're a big Boston sports fan. I correct mm -hmm. me if I'm wrong. I see you got the Red Sox <laughs> hat on right now. Um, so, but hockey's your main passion, right? Yes, sir. So tell me how that got started. Okay. Um, this is a pretty interesting story. Um, it goes back to initially with my grandfather. Uh, my grandfather had started uh, actually a, a youth hockey program in, in Lynn, so in my hometown, um, and they were called the Lynn Jets. Um, and so he had created that back in, oh boy, it must have been the late 60s. Um, so he had started that program. My dad had played hockey growing up. He played on that team. He, he went to um, the same high school that I went to. He played there for a bit. He went um, to Brewster Academy for his last two years of, of high school. Then he went to St. Anselm's, um, played hockey there, played some junior hockey, uh, got in a really bad car wreck, wasn't allowed to play hockey anymore, but he could referee. So from the time when he was in the car accident, which he was 20, I believe, so 19 or 20, until 1998, he was refing. Uh, and he started you know, at the bottom and worked his way up, worked his way into the collegiate ranks where he, he made a pretty good name for himself. Um, he probably hosts, I think he, he refed uh, half a dozen um, national championships, um, a lot of regionals, bean pots, hockey championships. Um, and there was, I can't recall what year, but there was a, an NHL referee lockout. So they had brought a lot of the college guys up. So he got to do six NHL games. Um, and he had the, uh, he had the Canadians, the Bruins, I believe the Whalers at the time. Um, the Flyers, I believe, and I can't remember the final two teams, but he had, he'd bounced around, done some NHL games and realized the traveling was just, was too much. Um, but after he retired, he, he got into kind of working administratively. Um, and he's currently the national uh, coordinator for ice hockey officials for uh, division one, division three, uh, men's ice hockey. So just growing up around him watching hockey a lot because he had to for work. Um, and almost that that was, that was so ingrained in his life, it became ingrained in our lives and never in a forced way. My parents actually 
didn't want me to play hockey for the longest time. I wanted to start when I was like really young, maybe four or five or six. And they said, nope, you can't play hockey until you learn how to skate. Um, so I started doing skating lessons at like seven, which is, which is pretty late um, and didn't start getting into goaltending um, until I was about 10 was my first time. And yeah, it was funny. They always, they would always say, no, you don't, I don't think you really want to play hockey. Like let's try other sports. So, you know, you're, as a kid, you grow up, you try a bunch of different sports, you find out what you like. And hockey was, hockey was my, my biggest passion. And that's kind of where that all stemmed from. How serious of a fan do you consider yourself of the National Hockey League? I know you're a big college fan, but that's a that's a really good question. Um, I would say, as far as the NHL goes, I'm I'm probably more of a casual fan. Um, I've been to some Bruins games, um, which were great. It was back. My first Bruins game was probably back in 2007, 2008, I believe. Um, when Milan Lucic was there and Tim Thomas was still playing. And so it was a great, you know, it was a great team to, to kind of grow up watching. Uh, and over the years, it's, you know, they've been up and down, up and down, and, and they finally kind of gained some traction and they have a great head coach now. Um, they got a lot of young, young guys, a lot of speed, which is the, the game I enjoy watching um, speed and finesse and, and, and youth. So as far as as far as being really in depth with with the NHL, I used to be able to to follow it more closely in high school. Um, I could follow that in college hockey and and hockey over in Europe, minor league hockey, just everything. Um, but you know, as I've gotten older and gotten into college, uh, time doesn't totally allow for that. So um, I keep up with it as as often as I can, and I've actually been watching a lot of reruns on on Nesson, the uh, the local broadcasting. Um, sports broadcasting channel. Uh, they've been replaying stuff from the 2011 Stanley Cup playoffs uh, and, and games from back in the 90s and the 80s. So um, I've probably actually watched more Bruins hockey um, during this quarantine than I have in the last three years of, of my life. So I know Gordon used to have a club team. Um, did you ever get any opportunities to play with them and, and do stuff here? Uh, yes, I actually had um, my freshman year. I tried out for the team and, uh, you know, I was blessed enough to be able to work my way up into the, the starting position as, as a goalie. And we had a lot of good guys on the team. We had a lot of good guys. And it was just tough uh, because we had guys that really weren't as skilled or didn't have as much experience as most of the teams we were playing against. And we, for some reason, had been placed in Division Two, uh, which was really interesting considering the size of our school, I figured it would be a division three school. Um, so we were playing at a division, you know, a division two school. So we're playing a lot of bigger schools um, with, with teams that had um, guys that one had, you know, more experience, but they also had a wider um, variety of, of, you know, guys to choose from. Um, but we played our games at Endicott and uh, we practiced at Pingree. So it was it was good. We had a we had a short season because we weren't um, officially members of any conference yet. Um, so I think we only played about eight games. Um, we started off great in the first three games and kind of kind of slipped moving forward. But uh, we got to play at uh, Bright Arena at Harvard, um, which was an incredible experience um, to get to play there. And there were some uh, there were some there were some good opportunities, especially getting to see. 
I got to know a lot of people um, through hockey in my freshman year, a lot of upperclassmen. Um, and, you know, that was a, that was an experience I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade for anything. Um, it's unfortunate that the team is discontinued now. Um, but, you know, I think that it's been good for me personally, because it's led me down a lot of other paths and a lot of other um, kind of areas of exploration. And I can still play, you know, beer league or pick up whenever there's, there's games and there's, there's ton of, tons in the area. And I'm actually playing at Endicott again, obviously not right now, but playing in a men's league over there. Um, so uh, as far as, as far as the Endicott rink, it's kind of been uh, my main, my main source of ice time for the last three years. So all Boston sports, right? Across the board? Yes. Yes. So oh. uh, it's been a good 20 years or so for Patriots fans. Um, <laughs> what do you think of the whole Tom Brady exit? Oh, boy. I think um, I'm, honest, I'm a little disappointed in how Tom Brady had gone about it. And uh, I think Terry Bradshaw really summed it up well when he said, I don't understand why Tom Brady feels like he needs to continue to play or why he would go to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He said, uh, it just has to be ego. And, you know, I've always really respected, you know, Tom Brady and, and his level of play. I haven't been as big a fan as most people in the area have been. Um, I do think he was a great quarterback. I, I, I do. Um, and, you know, we were lucky to have him for 20 years. And, but I think, as much as Patriots fans, we all wanted to block it out. We knew that his time here was coming to an end and we knew that there was, you know, some infighting within the team. Cause you got, you got Tom Brady, you got Robert Kraft and you got Bill Belichick. So you got these three kind of really big name, almost like celebrities really. Um, and they're all involved in the same organization. That's almost, um, that's just kind of like, putting explosives down, lighting the match and expecting nothing to happen. Um, so what yeah, I know there's, this is just a conspiracy theory that I've heard. I'm sure there's not a lot of a uh, merit to it. Um, but there's a theory that you remember the Garoppolo trade. Um, yes. when, and all, all the Patriots you got for him was a second rounder, which you're thinking, you know, this, this guy came in for Brady when he was suspended his four games and one, three and one, and he's looked good, you know, young quarterback on the rise, shouldn't you be able to maybe get more than just a second round pick for him? Um, and the theory is that, because, you know, Belichick is, you know, he's a hundred percent football mind. You know, he doesn't care who you are or the name on the Jersey or anything. He's just going to do whatever it takes to win. Yes. Um, so the thought is that perhaps Belichick actually wanted to trade Brady and Kraft stepped in and said, you can't do that. Um, so to get back at Kraft, Belichick basically gave Garoppolo away. Um, oh, wow. Again, I don't know how much truth there is to that. Um, but, and you know, because I'm an Eagles fan, um, yeah. so I, I enjoy uh, no longer having to deal with the how many rings do you have <laughs> jokes. Um, although five is still greater than one, so my parents, <laughs> Cowboys fans, they still give me grief over that. But um, yeah, I just I go back and because you, know, you watch the NFL films of the Super Bowl a couple of years ago, where when the Eagles beat the Patriots, because um, you know you know people complain about you know the Pats get all these calls and everything, but I think what 
most people don't know unless they watch NFL films is Belichick is constantly, you know, he's got his hand on the challenge flag and he's in the ref's faces to the point where, you know, you talk about breaking your opponents down mentally, he starts to break the refs down mentally and they start second guessing themselves. And then, you know, it's just part of how he works, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And there were so many calls in that game, you know, like the Clement touchdown where like, okay, he, he got both feet in, but did he have control when his left foot was down? And, and I still objectively looking at it, like, obviously I'm happy the call stood, but you know, if I <laughs> take away the teams based on how the NFL's called that all year, I, I don't know, you know, if you yeah. can really call it a, a catch or not. Um, and, and, but the arts, the arts touchdown, you know, I think people were upset, but I, I, you know, he took like four steps, yeah. you know, and then, and then dove. So I don't see how you could, re- but again, that was another call that, you know, was close that they had to review and you watch the NFL films and there's nothing from Belichick. You know, he's just, he's nowhere to be found. He's not his usual self, you know? Mm-hmm. So it was, I, th- I think that was probably the beginning of the end for the, uh, the dynasty in terms of, you know, the, the infighting beginning. Um, and of course they came back and won the Super Bowl the next year, but yeah, I think it was, it was pretty clear that, I mean, obviously Brady could retire today and, you know, his legacy is, is cemented, but mm-hmm. you know, I think the way I see it, he's earned the right to do whatever he wants with his career at this point. I know he's got a brand to sell. He wants to play until he's 45. So, you know, if he thinks Tampa Bay can offer him a better chance at a success in the next couple of years, then I don't blame him for doing that. But I can see where uh, Patriots fans might feel a little bit uh, upset, you know, that, uh, that there's not the loyalty of he's going to retire here in new England. Um, or I don't I know, think- maybe, maybe he'll sign a one day contract. like the sometimes. <laughs> um, But I think it's also going to be a good transition for him to uh, into retirement because um, he's already in Florida. So he can probably just settle out on there. And, um, you know, he put his, again, another thing that I think a lot of Patriots fans, we tried to block out is the fact that his house in Brookline has been on the market for probably the last six to eight months. So it's like, he's selling his house. I, I mean, I don't know what we were thinking. We're just trying, trying not to think about it. Um, but that was probably a pretty good indicator that he was looking to, to, to take off. And it is going to be, it is going to be exciting to, to see some new, someone new kind of uh, leading the charge on the field. Um, and I don't know who it's going to be. Uh, I don't you know think it's going to be Stidham or do you think they're going to go draft somebody or sign a free agent? I, I would, I would imagine for this year it would probably be Stidham. Um, that's going to be my, my guess. Um, I know that a lot of people are talking about, oh, they're going to draft Trevor Lawrence, or they're going to draft Trevor Lawrence. But I mean, Trevor Lawrence is going to be a first-round draft pick, and the Pats aren't going to have the first-round draft pick. So I don't think that that's going to be very likely. Um, as much as I'd like to see that, as much as I'd like to see a Christian man um, be in a in a in a Boston, um, you know, part of a Boston athletic uh, affiliation, I think that would be great. Um, but I think it'll be very unlikely. So obviously the sports world is kind of at a standstill right now. Um, there's been talk about uh, playing sports games without fans in attendance. Um, I, I don't know if you've seen the whole MLB proposal um, where they're, they're talking about sending literally everybody to Arizona and like self-quarantining themselves there and then starting the season with every game in Arizona and players and personnel will only travel from their 
hotels to the stadium and back, and they could do that for up to four and a half months. It's this crazy idea. I, I don't see how it's going to work, but what, what do you think of playing games without uh, any spectators? I think, I think it's, I, honestly, I, I'm, I don't have a problem with it. Um, I know that it would be uh, very destructive as far as for the organizations uh, because they don't have fans, but they don't really have any other option uh, at this point. I think, you know, professional athletes, that's their job. Um, and a lot of them want to do their job. They want to go to work and they, they want to play baseball. They want to play football. They want to play hockey or basketball. Um, and I, I would probably be a proponent uh, of, of doing so. Uh, again, I think that logistically it's a little kind of crazy. Um, and like, how many guys are you allowed to bring with you? Um, what is, what are the game times going to look like? Um, are they going to be using one field? Are they going to be using multiple fields? I'm just, I think, I think it's a, a, a very optimistic and positive idea. Um, but like you said, I just don't think trying to pull that off would be uh, plausible. Yeah, well, right when everything, like the week the NBA suspended and that, that, that kind of started the fire was everybody the next day basically shutting down. Um, NASCAR was in Atlanta. They announced that they were going to close the, the gates and run it without fans. Um, and there's been some talk about if and when, you know, the curve flattens a little bit, things get a little bit better, you know, kind of coming back softly and not having spectators, just having the participants. But, you know, you think a sport like that um, where, you know, you have 40 drivers and then five crew members plus a crew chief for each driver. I mean, that's, that's 250 guys right there. And then all the mechanics and media and safety personnel and track officials and everybody that you would have to have to put on a race, you know, if it's not safe for more than 10 people or more than 50 people or whatever the number is going to be, um, you know, you, you can close the grandstands all you want, but for, you know, a lot of sports, I still feel like you're going to be well over those limits. So, and then if one person gets sick, then everyone yeah it's, everyone's gonna get sick yeah it's a massive problem so i don't know what they're gonna do but we'll see like i said hopefully it uh it doesn't last too much longer um and we can get back but i don't know I, i've got a feeling it's still gonna be at least a few months but yeah i think that that's kind of at least from what i'm hearing that that kind of seems to be the what the trend is going to be for the next couple of months maybe they'll do uh some sort of shortened season uh, for the mlb and Maybe it'll continue into November, December, or, you know, something. Um, I know yeah. that that'd be pretty difficult for, for places, you know, like Colorado, um, you know, to try to have games uh, out there in, in November or December, um, or even here on the East Coast, um, or further up north in Minnesota and such. But, yeah, I, 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 hope, I hope they can piece something together. Um, as far as obviously basketball, just we'll have to wait for the next season. Hockey, we'll just have to wait for next season. Um, I'm just really prayerful in the fact that I hope this doesn't reach into football season because yeah. I, I just, I just, I, I really just wouldn't. Uh, that wouldn't excite me if if something had to happen to the football season because it's already so short. Yeah, well, I've heard murmurs that. Some people are predicting the NBA 
if and when they can come back this year, they would just jump right into the playoffs. Like, take the standings mm-hmm. as they are right now and just, like, have a – maybe, I don't know, maybe they do a best of five to save time or something, but going straight into the playoffs. And a couple of players came out and said, you know, look, if you do that – we haven't been able to practice as a team and, and be together. You know, it's going to be the sloppiest <laughs> gameplay and, and, and players aren't going to be as good of a shape. So you might mm-hmm. see, a, you know, if you look back at the, uh, the lockout season um, just a few years ago, there was a massive increase in, uh, in ACL injuries and oh. another thing. Yeah. So yeah, that, that could pose a, a potential danger there um, that you, that you want to try to avoid. So we'll see what they do. Um, yeah. Time will tell, I, I guess. <laughs> Just got to be patient. Yeah. yeah, so you co-hosted um, last year most of uh, my podcasts, the photo finish uh, for Scott Radio. Obviously, you don't want racers to cheat. You don't want anyone to cheat. And the interesting thing here, too, is that Harvick didn't get the money. He didn't get the points, but he still jotted down in the record book as having won the race. Something I, I, I noticed, of it, like, very... That soon after we met um was scrolling through instagram i saw Haley deegan was this she was just an ask her next prospect at the time but i saw you were following her and so i i asked you about that and you told me you were a big fan of uh brian deegan and uh and their whole family um so tell me tell me if you've been a if it's a motocross thing that you grew up with or if it was you know just you, you came across brian's story somewhere and and got intrigued by that um but but how did your interest in uh, motorsports begin? Um, it was actually because I had come across something involving just Brian's um, story. And he was at the time when I saw the video, he was no longer um, kind of touring with, with this organization, but there's uh, an organization based out of uh, Southern California called the Whosoever's Movement. Um, and it's a, it's a Christian parachurch organization. And the guy that ran, runs it um, is Ryan Rees, and he used to be a promoter um, for Monster for a lot of um, different skate parks, different skateboarders, and um, just skate brands. And you know, I didn't know, I don't know too much still about you know skateboarding and all that. But um, he was going around the country with um, musicians and athletes and celebrities and all these people who had had an encounter with with Christ and had been saved um, and and surrendered their lives to Christ and Brian was one of them so he I was I remember watching one of the episodes and I was like oh like who is this guy so I started looking and seeing you know kind of what he used to do and I think I came across an article with all his family in it um, and so I know like some of the younger brothers you know or the younger, some of his younger sons, they don't have um, any social media, but I just followed all the, the Deegans that I could at the time. And, um, you know, it was Brian and Haley. And it, it that's kind of where my interest in them started. Um, and then I met you. So, uh, you know, we kind of talked and conversed and I was learning what, you know, kind of what the NAS, what NASCAR was and, and what motorsports were. Um, but initially the kind of where my interest came from was just from hearing his his story and his, his testimony so haley's got started in a nascar over the last couple of years um is still at the arca level um of course arca and canine kind of merged this off season um how do you think she's done so far that's a really good question um i think 
I think, and I, you know, we've, we've talked about it a lot before. I think I'm happy with, with how she's done. I know with a lot of the mediation and, and all these kind of the sensationalism is a lot. And I don't think that she's living up to almost what the media has, has hyped her up to be. Um, but again, Something, like we, yeah, go ahead. Oh, I, I was just going to say, like we had talked about, she's, you know, just, just like turned 18. So she's still yeah. young. Um, and I think that a lot of this pressure is being put on her because, you know, she's a female and, or, or they're trying to, they're trying to promote that, which is, which is great. You know, I don't really care um, what gender a driver is. Uh, but at the same time, while I am a fan of hers and I do support her, I wish that there was uh, more fair media coverage on um, on all the other racers too, because you kind of can't put your eggs in one basket, especially with NASCAR, because things can change so quickly. You know, I think that there's a lot of good young racers, and from you know what we saw at, uh, in Dover, and and I mean every. Anytime you tune in the K&N, you, you can see that there's a lot of talented young racers. And I feel that if they just spread that media coverage out uh, across all of them, um, it'd be really, really positive for mo motorsports. Um, but I, it doesn't seem that they've caught on to that idea yet. So I'll, I'll just wait. <laughs> yeah. Do you remember Daytona? When, uh, yes. When, yeah. So she finished the second and then they say, oh, she tied the record for best arc to finish by a woman. And uh, here's... Brian and Marissa's reaction and oh by the way Michael Self won the race but here's <laughs> you know so it was I kind of expected at this point um but actually I just noticed yesterday um just looking at some analytics and numbers she almost has if, if we're looking at Instagram she almost has more followers than Jeff Gordon and Kyle Busch combined wow which you know there's there's six cup championships between those two and <laughs> she hasn't even tested a truck yet. So, you know, just kind of, I think let that hit you. Like it's pretty, it is pretty incredible. Um, I think yeah. that. And that's, that's not necessarily a bad thing. You know, that's, that shows that, you know, she's pushed a brand and she's been very successful um, doing so. Um, but it just, when, when you look at that and, and you see NBC still pushes her, so hard nascar you know the fox all of them really still push her as hard as as they are um to get her name out there and hype her up um you know cody vanderwall is a guy that he's won two k&n races himself you know he's just trying to nickel and dime his way to just even get to the track at this point in his career and you know racing locally um but he's had k&n success and he doesn't even have a thousand followers <laughs> and she's got almost 700,000 now. Like, you know, they, I, I think there needs to, if, if NBC and Fox and these media partners and the sport were more equal in who they gave airtime to, who, who they wrote stories on, you know, I, I think it could be very beneficial. And, you know, it frustrates me that we don't see more of that. I agree. And I think that something else as far as going, you know, into Haley's um, social media and, and all that, um, I know that, things were kind of emerging different opportunities for her and she's involved with Under Armour. She's involved with Rockstar. She's um, got all these kind of different sponsorships and she's doing a million different things. Um, and Monster, I remember, right? Or yeah, sorry. What, did I say Rockstar? Yeah. yeah. Sorry. That's I, all right. yeah. <laughs> energy drinks. I just, yeah, just, yeah, direct competitors. But... 
Um, but well, and it, Ford now too, right? Because and and Ford you know, making the switch over, and they, and Ford's totally picked up where Toyota left off, and given her all the support. That's right. So yeah. I, I mean, I, I think that a lot of this stuff is is happening. I I know that we talked about it. Um, it was last semester, and it's kind of like I don't. There's all this stuff going on and she's kind of getting involved in all these different things and I wasn't sure how it was going to turn out I I, th- I think now um I think she's done a pretty good job as far as what her um, social media portrays obviously again she's a Christian she comes from a Christian family um so the content is always is 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 good it's always you know wholesome there's nothing ever inappropriate um but as far as her stuff with Under Armour she does a lot of workout videos and she does stuff with um, testing out whatever gear they have um, so I wouldn't be surprised if one day she just stops racing and gets involved in doing something with modeling or, or working closer with, with Under Armour. Um, so I, you know, I think there's a lot of opportunities for her out there. Um, but I, again, I wouldn't be surprised if eventually, um, you know, we see her involved in something outside of racing. Yeah, well, and she's got her dirt background, too, that she grew up on. So if this NASCAR thing doesn't work out, maybe she could go back to that uh, as well. Um, aside from, you know, the, the Deegans, um, have, since you've taken up an interest in NASCAR since she's come over, um, you keep up with Cup at all or any of the other levels, any other racing? I mean, um, obviously a little bit because you, you, you know enough to co-host my show. Um, <laughs> and over this over this last year i haven't been following it as as much as i honestly wish i i should have been um you know obviously i'm a ryan newman fan um and uh, i actually i should have should have wore his hat today um but i picked that up at you know yeah. uh, when we were at dover uh, and everything obviously involving him and 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 the wreck um that, were you watching daytona as it was happening or I was not, I was actually, my roommate notified me and he was like, do you know, Ryan, Ryan Newman? I thought he was talking about someone on campus. And I was like, no, like there's no Ryan Newman that goes here. He's like, no, no, no. Like the NASCAR driver. I was like, oh yeah. I was like, I I just, I was so confused why he said that. I didn't think he was talking about NASCAR. I was like, yeah. He goes, okay. Cause I know you like, like you're interested in NASCAR. I was like, well, what happened? And so he told me and he showed me the footage and, uh, I almost wish I just had come across it myself because here I have my roommate just telling me this and here, look at this. Um, and, you know, thank God he was able to recover so quickly um, and so effectively because watching the rack, I was, I was blown away that he was able to, you know, be removed from the car and was still alive to, to be quite frank. Yeah. Yeah. Just the, the fact that he, was able to walk out under his own power less than 48 hours after it happened is nothing short of miraculous. Um, I just, I, I don't understand. <laughs> um, but it, you know, it goes to show the safety of the cars today and, and how they've, how that's evolved. Um, but I don't know. I just, I'm hopeful and praying that the, the next time we go to Daytona or Talladega, uh, cause you know how they, they market the big wrecks and the entertainment factor as, as you get down to the closing laps, you know, the wrecks get bigger and bigger. Like, I hope that they don't use that one in any of the, Yeah. I mean, I, I, I would wish that they would use 
very few of them, if any, um, and that, you, that you'd focus on the racing and close finishes and try to market that and use that to draw fans in. But yeah, very scary incident. Um, so I thought of you because I know you're, you got, you bought his hat. You're been a fan of his for a long time. Um, but yeah, just glad he's all right. Yeah. I, I think something, you know, what you're talking about as far as the coverage of the wrecks, um, it's something that has been, you know, something in hockey. I've always been, you know, a hockey fan and they always market the big hits or, the, you know, the fights and stuff. And, you know, a lot of times that's what causes severe injury. Uh, and the game isn't about that. You know, that, that's an aspect of it, but it's not the, the, the meat and potatoes of, of hockey. And I feel the same way um, when you talk about the crashes and how that's marketed as, um, and, and sensationalized again, as what the core of racing is. And I think the rule changes the last decade or so have, you know, almost increased the chances um, that you're going to see that. Um, you know, I, I guess people just, you see these guys walk away from these violent accidents and you, you think they're invincible. Um, so you want to have the entertainment factor, but, you know, just like try, like imagine you're picturing, you're trying to tell a casual fan or somebody who isn't a fan what happened. And you tell them that Ryan Newman's crash happened on the 209th lap of a 200 lap race. <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, um, and I, I know, I know stick and ball sports have overtime and it's, you know, the concepts, you know, it's not completely nonsensical, but it's not something that, you know, the Indianapolis 500 is over after 500 miles. You yes. know, you look at the Daytona 500, the last few years, especially, um, the leader at 500 miles sometimes isn't the winner, even though the race has 500, like they want to extend the race to give the fans a green flag finish. And I, I understand that. I get that. Um, mm. What IndyCar does sometimes is if there's a late accident, uh, they'll red flag the race, even if track cleanup doesn't require it. Um, they'll stop the cars and then try one attempt. So that you still end under a scheduled distance, but you also, you get your attempt at a, green flag finish which even that you know I feel like is well you know you wouldn't be throwing the red flag if it were normal circumstances um so so even that's kind of gimmicky to me but I'll take that in a heartbeat over yeah you know we're gonna have unlimited attempts at a at a green white checkered finish because these fans paid money and they deserve to see a green flag finish even if we tear up uh 90 percent of the field in doing so so it's a dangerous game it's a dangerous game to play but no, I, I completely echo uh, your input. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I don't know, like there was, there was a lot of momentum this year, I think, you know, it, obviously the rain delay uh, at Daytona kind of robbed some of that for that particular weekend. Um, but you know, I think Trump being there drew in more casuals than it, it turned off liberal NASCAR fans. Um, maybe ones that were st- so liberal that you know that just the mention of his name you know you don't want anything to do with that um but you know i I think people were expecting them to lose half their audience and i I think when you you look at maybe a a democrat who doesn't like trump you know maybe they don't like him but they're not gonna not watch the race just because he is at the at the race and giving the command and everything Um, exactly but long story short point being the ratings were up um and i think that drew some attention got some momentum going um and i think We've seen some sponsorship deals come in um, for a lot of drivers recently, and ratings have been at least holding firm 
if not up a little bit. So we'll see. Um, I think this this pause is going to harm uh, some of the smaller teams. Um, they kind of mm. live race to race. Um, you know, if they have to just shut down for a couple of months, it, you have to wonder if they're even going to be able to come back uh, once things get going again. Um, but we'll see. I don't know. Hopefully, the at the very least, I guess the chartered cup teams will be fine. Um, but we'll see. Um, I think there's there's some momentum in the sport right now in terms of interest, but uh, even still, some of the teams might be uh, might be hurting a little bit when we get back. Yeah, um, the whole COVID nineteen thing is is I think a lot of times you know we hear stuff and and I'm thinking a lot about small business and stuff, but I hadn't even really drawn the connection to a lot of those smaller teams and what they're going to be missing out on as far as you know, remaining financially stable. Again, I don't know, you know, we've kind of seen NASCAR want to promote the bigger teams and keep them around. So I don't know what the response is going to be, um, but that's, that's something I actually hadn't even really uh, considered. Yeah. Well, you just, you think of the NFL, you know, the teams that are bad in the NFL that don't perform well, that finish at the bottom of the standings, you know, they're there because of their talent in the roster or their coaching staff or whatever, but they're all owned by, you know, wealthy individuals, wealthy shareholders, um, and, and the franchise as a whole. Like, you know, you don't have to worry about the Cleveland Browns are so bad that you might not see them come back next year and a new team will take their place, you know. But, but motorsports is different. You know, if, if a team finishes in the red, you know, after a certain number of years, it, it's unsustainable. You know, they have to pull out. Mm -hmm. um, so, and that's just, that's not just a NASCAR issue. That's going to be an issue all across the board because of how expensive the sport is. So keep your fingers crossed for those teams. and. Uh, be thinking about them because there's some uh a lot of volunteers already you know on shoestring budgets at those organizations you know it, it just got 10 times harder for them to to keep going so we'll see what happens so uh we got a little bit of time left here um, yep. i know you're a bit of a superhero fan yourself right yes sir yeah um you even you co-hosted uh what was it robert's uh the comic collision yeah, it was Robert one and Matt Lewis. Yeah. I think I think I had done. Um, yeah, I did do one episode with them. That's right. Today's gonna be a little weird, but also kind of funny at the same time because my friend Matt isn't gonna be here tonight. So my other friend Matt decided to come join us. <laughs> Say hello, Matt. Hey, how you guys doing? <laughs> we got... <laughs> the segue from Ben was was correct, even though it's a different Matt. He was he was <laughs> yeah. still correct. Was... <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, it's on my YouTube channel, so I, I'll oh, link it in the description here when we get that up um thank but, you <laughs> yeah so tell me tell me about your interest in uh in marvel um and i think specifically spider-man right yes you play the video game oh yeah the i've played just about every single spider-man game since uh spider-man 3 so that was 2007 uh on the nintendo ds <laughs> and so i'm aging myself a little bit there but I think what my attraction to it came from the first Spider-Man movie um, that came out in 2002. And so I would have been three at the time and I wasn't allowed to watch it. Um, but when I was four, my mom had like left the house to go run some errands or something. And my dad was like, Oh, Hey, let's put on like, let's put on the Spider-Man movie that like, it seems interesting. And we were four years old. And while I don't remember 
the experience itself. I just remember that my parents told me my brother and I became very uh, intensely obsessed with Spider-Man, um, along with at the time, you know, he had like Batman and the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And, um, but I think with, I think with Spider-Man, the, the draw to it was his, his youth, you know, so at the time when we're, you know, growing up as kids, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten, 10, he's, his character's 15 or 16, but it was still like, wow, he's such like an old person. Like we can look up to him. Um, but he wasn't too far gone where it didn't feel um, like we could make a realistic connection with him. But we had Spider-Man themed birthday parties. We had, I can't tell you many times I dressed up as Spider-Man for, for Halloween. Um, my parents' friends hired a guy who dressed as Spider-Man to come to one of our birthdays and we had to like, he got himself like trapped in one of our, I don't even know what we had in the backyard, like a jungle gym or something. We had to help him out. Oh, we were just, we were on cloud nine. Um, but that's kind of where my, my interest uh, in Spider-Man had come from. And I think that at least my favorite adaptation of him so far has been, has been the Spider-Man PS4 game. And I mean, I'm, I don't know when the second one's going to come out, um, but it did tease um, that there that there should be a second installment, um, and even one now where you'll get to play as Miles Morales as Spider-Man, as opposed to in the PS4 game, you play as Miles Morales just as himself. Um, so that would be incredibly interesting. Yeah, I actually just watched Into the Spider-Verse earlier this week for the first time. Um, oh. So I'm, yeah, you I'm had, still trying to get caught up on everything, but... Yeah, I still need to see Andrew Garfield's movies. Um, so once I get once I get those two checked off, um, I know the second one uh, is generally considered not great. Um, yeah, I was a little lazily done, but uh, the first one the first one's actually pretty good. I, I enjoy the first one. Yeah, who who do you think like movies aside, who do you think's done the best between Tobey Maguire, uh, Andrew Garfield, and Tom Holland? Who do you think's done the best Spider Man? Um. My personal favorite is Toby, but I have to say that I think Tom Holland has been the best for Spider-Man. Um, I think that he's opened uh, a, a wider market as far as in bringing people into into the Marvel universe and into superheroes in general. Um, you know, when Tobey Maguire and, and Andrew Garfield were playing Spider-Man, um, while there were a lot of fans at the time, there really wasn't a draw for um, kind of the crowds that we're seeing, you know, now. And I think that Tom Holland, honestly, I think he's done the, the best job as far as playing Spider-Man, bringing people to become interested in superheroes and become interested in Spider-Man in general. And I think that he most accurately fits the archetype of the Spider-Man that Stan Lee had created. So what did you think this summer when the whole uh, Sony-Disney breakdown happened? Um, what Were you team Sony? Were you team Disney? Were, did you just, were you mad at both of them and just wanted them to come to a deal? Were you maybe optimistic about where Sony could take uh, Spider-Man by himself? I was, there was one rumor that was circulating at, at one point and it was talking about, um, 
there were going to be two different Spider-Men or something that Sony was going to do one and that Marvel was going to do one. Um, you know, obviously Marvel bought back the rights to, to Spider-Man, but, or at least brought, um, uh, Tom but Holland back into yeah, the MCU. Shared now. Uh, yeah. They worked, yeah, they worked out a deal. Um, I think, um, for me personally, I probably lean more towards um, Team Sony. But overall, I was just disappointed in the fact that these two organizations were more focused on financial gain uh, as opposed to allowing fans to, to get what they want um, and, and to further develop this character. I really didn't want to do another Spider-Man. We don't need four different Spider-Men in t over 20 year period. Um, I just don't think that that's, that's effective. Um, so I'm happy that eventually, you know, it seems like they came to their senses and they, they realized, I mean, especially you got Sony, you got, um, you know, Marvel and it's like, neither of them are struggling financially. So why, yeah. Why make this big deal? And the way I see it is, you know, I think the deal was 95% Sony, 5% Marvel Disney, right? Yes. Plus Marvel gets all the merchandising and, and everything else that sells. So, you know, on the surface, it doesn't sound like much, but, you know, Far From Home makes $1.1 billion. <laughs> so you take 5% of that, it's still, what, $55 million going to Disney? Like, like some movies... That that's what they make total. Yeah. Um, so you think of how popular the character is, how much revenue and money it brings in, and and it still took them. They were at a stalemate for so long because they couldn't agree. And the way I saw it was just kind of like you know you, you guys are both going to make um, so much <laughs> money on it, and you're going to lose so much money if you don't come to a deal. I know. Um, so that's I'm I'm glad they were able to work it out. Um, and just uh, just real quick as we close up here, I don't know if you've seen the uh, the trailer for Morbius. I don't believe I have. No. Okay. I um. So you so you know Sony has Venom, and you know they're trying to create their own universe as it's, I guess kind of a cousin to the MCU. Um, yes. With uh with Venom being the first film over there, and I know critics didn't like Venom. Uh, audiences were kind of split on it. Um. I don't hate it personally. I don't think it's the greatest movie ever by any means. Um, but you know, people didn't know where the MCU was going to go when you just had Iron Man and the Incredible Hulk. So we'll see where what what it turns out to be. Um, but if you watch the Morbius trailer, um, you get the the one trailer we've seen so far. You know, there's a lot of origin story, um, and there's a picture on a wall of a Spider-Man in what looks like it's the PS4 suit, which hmm. is kind of interesting. Um, and it's spray-painted murderer over it, which you know some people think is maybe referencing the Far From Home credit scene. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. And, and people were, yeah, everybody loves to blame Sony for everything, right? <laughs> so they were like, Sony can't even get the right you know, MCU suit. And <laughs> some people were saying, well, you know, that's, that's not the finished product. You know, they might've been doing that just to kind of, tease it um mm -hmm. and not make it super obvious because the super obvious thing came you know you, you see the morbius logo and you know the final music's playing out and then you have the last little bit of a trailer and they pan out to uh michael keaton and he says what's up doc and he's in the same 
uh, white jail suit that he's wearing in the credit scene of Homecoming. Wow. So there was no official like reference to Vulture or anything, but people when people saw that, it's basically it's all but confirmed that there there's been a crossover now, and uh, it's not Marvel Studios produced. It's not technically MCU, but the Sony films are at least going to be able to reference the Spider-Man movies in the MCU. So Sony and Sony and uh, Marvel and Disney clearly worked something out um, (laughs) to to be able to put something together. So, I mean, and I I think, you know, Sony um, did into the Spider-Verse. So what I, and this is kind of a little bit far-fetched, but my projection would be that, the MCU keeps the Peter Parker Spider-Man and maybe Sony introduces, you know, um, Miguel O'Hara, so Spider-Man 2099, or follows Miles Morales, or follows um, Kane Parker, who is a clone that became the Scarlet Spider. Um, And I think that would be something that fans would get really excited about because we've all wanted to see a live action crossover from Spider-Man from different Spider-Verses. Um, and so I wonder if Into the Spider-Verse was maybe a testing ground, um, and obviously easier through animation, and maybe Sony is going to instead put their focus on a different type of Spider-Man. Yeah, well, I don't, I've heard rumors that Tom Holland might actually cameo in the second Venom movie. I've heard that. And that, and that, that might lead into, you know, in the Venom trilogy within Sony's universe, you know, the, the final showdown between uh, Tom Hardy's Venom and Tom Holland's Spider-Man. Um, I don't know if there's any truth to that or if that's the direction they want to go. Um, but we'll see. I think there's a, there are a lot of characters and a lot of potential there if Sony and Disney are willing to work together and uh, let each other do what they want to do. Um, so we'll see. But again, you know, everything comes back to this uh, quarantine that we're in right now because the <laughs> theaters are closed. So Black Widow's been pushed back and that's pushed back everything else in the MCU. So we're going to have to wait a little bit longer, but I'm excited for the, uh, for the future here. Absolutely. All right. Well, Matt, thank you for uh, coming on this thank afternoon or this me. evening rather. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I hope you're, uh, hope you're staying safe and uh, it was good to be able to catch up with you and hope your classes are going well and Hopefully we get to talk again soon. Yeah. Um, and if nothing else, I'll see you on Tuesday night. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Sports journalism. Uh, so that's uh, – you've been liking that class? I've been enjoying it. That's... Yeah. I, I, I love uh, Professor Lindsay. I had him last semester and so wanted to take him again. There's it, just – it's tough because it's condensed, obviously condensed class, and it's remote learning. But I feel like there's so much that I've taken away just within the two weeks that we've met uh, and having Rob Bradford on was incredible. Yeah. That was really nice last week to, to be able to have him. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, I'll let you get off to dinner and uh, hope you have a good rest of your night and uh, yeah, I'll see you. I'll see you Tuesday. All right. Sounds good, sir. All right. Thanks again, Ben. Yeah, no problem.